This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, just like Leicester City this season. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. 95% of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great. Because when I want my spicy shrimp pad thai, I want it on time. Because, baby, there's no time like the present. Especially when it's pad thai related. But on the off chance your order is late, Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. On time, pad thai, baby. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19-2023. Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto renew at $9.99 each month, starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimums apply. Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. You are watching and listening to Chris and Lester Till I Die TV on YouTube and your favorite podcasts. devil are we oh it's the 26th day in the big brother house and still nobody's come in uh but rumors are abounding uh it is i suppose the silly season we're going to get to the bottom of some of those rumors tonight i've got a special guest coming in in a second uh ben jacob senior reporter for cbs so uh he, he has half his year in in the uk half his year in new york 
right for how do people get these jobs? How do people I want to that'll be my first question? How does he get these jobs? We have got a few things to talk about. Leicester's lack of activity, the few links that we've been linked with, and of course the few people that may or may not be leaving. One thing we do ask you to do, and I thank you if you are watching, if you're on YouTube and you haven't subscribed yet, please do what it says there and give us a subscribe. And if you are listening on your favourite podcast platform, whatever that may be, thank you so much for giving us your time. One more thing we ask you to do is just support the companies that, um, that support the channel. The details are in the description below on YouTube, but um, this is who we are. Leicester lead again! The goals are flowing here now. The Leicester Till I Die shop is now open. For all your Leicester Till I Die merchandise, visit the Leicester Till I Die shop at our website. How the devil are you, sir? Good evening. Always great to come on a Leicester podcast. I'm supposed to be neutral, of course, as a journalist, but I'm born and bred in Leicester, so I am also a Foxes fan. You, you, you can you can let it simmer under there, but it'll never go away, will it? <laughs> I mean, we're going to dine off the Premier League win, obviously, for many years to come. And I think it's exciting times. I know fans will be frustrated by the lack of transfer transfer activity and we keep creeping into retrospectively gauging Leicester I suppose against Champions League, Premier League, the two seasons where we almost qualified for the Champions League but let's not forget and I'm speaking as someone that grew up during the Martin O'Neill era that Leicester in the Premier League in the top half is no mean feat in itself so I think that Brendan Rodgers and the squad that we've got and hopefully can add to can still be really exciting and the club is moving in the right direction and that might not be challenging for the Premier League. That might not be a top four finish, but hey, let's not get greedy because we'll always have 2015, 2016. Oh, I, I have worn my CD, my DVD out watching that, I'll tell you. And as you can see behind me, uh, you know, I nipped down to the FA and pinched it and it's there on display. And whenever I get that, uh, watch that introduction, um, it always sends shivers down my back, just remembering it. You know, but uh, but yes, you're quite right. I mean, I mean, people have complained last season about Brendan Rodgers. I mean, we had two really good seasons when we finished just outside, uh, you know, the the, the Champions League places, um, and we won the FA Cup. We won the Community Shield that I like to call the English Super Cup, which is what it is. Wouldn't if we lost it, but we won it, so it's the English Super Cup, and it's almost that Brendan. We've had a difficult season and it's almost like he's been a victim of his own success if you like i think that that's a factor and injuries are another aspect to it so let's not forget that leicester last season finished actually pretty strong and if you look yeah. at the results when one or two players came back from let's say march onwards they got a good albeit narrow home victory over leeds that i was at they beat palace yeah. 
And generally, the king power was a bit more of a fortress. So they thrashed Norwich and then on the last day, really good win over Southampton as well. Yeah. And I remember in the Great Escape, we wrapped it off with a 5-1 victory when we were already safe over QPR. And that yeah. momentum and the positivity took us into the following season. So don't rule out a kind of meaningless on paper win over Southampton. But three wins out of four and an away draw at Chelsea. There was an away draw at Old Trafford as well in a game that I think Leicester feel that they should have won. The defeat against Newcastle was only last minute due to a Bruno winner. So from March onwards, it was not necessarily business as usual for Leicester, no. but they were more like a consistent top half team that were not as leaky and Vardy found some form. So when you look at the weapons that Leicester have got, the spine of the team. There's clearly some depth to be added, but fundamentally, there's a lot to be positive about. And as I started the show by saying, let's not be greedy here. Leicester in the Champions League is a fairy tale. And if it had happened in either of those two seasons, then it would have come with the financial reward and the elevation of stature that really allowed the club to kick on. But nonetheless, it was exceeding expectations. Now... Leicester need consolidation. They need to be that team that are guaranteed top half. So 10th or better is your starting point yep. as kind of mediocrity. And then if you make a European push, you build again. And then strategically beyond the young talent that we've got and are hoping to hold on to, like say Fafana and Madison, it's replacing Schmeichel, replacing Vardy in the long term and making sure that there's not a hole in the sort of spine of the team, either at the back, between the sticks, or with the goals that Avadi could provide. And then if you hang on to your core and build a bit of depth around it, then Leicester are back where they were. Yeah. And there's no reason yes. why. Good season for Leicester is Europe. A bad season yeah. for Leicester should still be somewhere around mid-table. But you've got to make sure with Newcastle's money and with West Ham improving and with Villa having good aspirations and even a dark horse like Leeds. I know they were almost down from the mm. league, but they've made some good signings. And even though they've lost Phillips and are likely to lose Rafinha, it's clubs like that. Leicester need to make sure that they're still a tier above at the moment on paper Leeds United. So they're constantly moving forwards, not backwards. And if you don't yeah that Champions League qualification and we were so close for two seasons then that is the risk that then it is, it the, is. the Premier League yeah oh it certainly is a quick hello to James thanks for popping in how are you Jason as well and Terry and Tony the Newcastle fan we will be coming on to Tielemans later don't don't panic don't panic he will be he will be mentioned I mean it's very easy to look back at a season and go, yeah, okay, let's accept, you know, we finished eight, only one place off Europe. You know, we got to a European semi-final. We had the, like I say, English Super Cup in the bag at the start of the season. Overall, it wasn't a bad season. And you don't appreciate it while you live in it, you know, and you, oh God, you know, the Tottenham game, where we let two goals in in the 94th and 95th minute. The West Ham game, where for some reason he made a change in the 93rd minute to the defence, when we're just about to take a corner. At that those moments, you don't appreciate it. But the number of injuries we had, I think it was 40-plus injuries, nine defensive players injured. I mean, I think his formation was a case of put your hand up if you fit. <laughs> Seeing who's fit, and, oh, we'll, we'll do that formation. I mean, he did well. And I know there's a lot of people that are, are, are Brendan out. I'm not. I think he, he he's, this is his season to prove himself. 
but he did well with what he had to put up with last season. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that when you hit a point in Leicester's season where Europe becomes unlikely, you start planning for the following season. And at yeah. that point, Leicester got a range of players coming back and fit. So you start to see what the team are capable of. And for me, it's not about Brendan. It's nonsense, in my opinion, to even speak of Brendan being pushed out. You're not going to find yes. a better manager that can develop the young talent at this football team and go out and get players in the market. And of course, if results don't go your way, people might start saying, what about Pochettino to Leicester, who's just been sacked from PSG? I've, I've seen those. I've seen those tweets. You know, come on. <laughs> and I just <laughs> think, wishful thinking, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yes. And what Leicester have always done, in my opinion, under this new ownership group, even under Nigel Pearson, despite the way it ended, is be relatively patient and think mm -hmm. about long-term strategy around their recruitment, but also on the football field. And that wasn't the case, let's not forget, when the King Power group first came in under the late Kung Vishai. They went mm -hmm. through a string of different managers, including Sven, and yeah. then I think they learned their lesson very quickly about how you develop a football club. And now... The ownership group are patient. Brendan Rodgers is strategic and develops young talent. And you look at this Leicester squad, regardless of where those that feel we should have been higher believe Leicester could have gone. And you say mm. for them to be eighth with the injuries they've got, the lack of depth they've got, the number of fixtures they played, the European semi-final against Roma that they got to, it really was a heck of an achievement. And yeah. how you kick on from that is by keeping Fafana fit, continuing to get the best out of a James Justin, making Harvey Barnes integral to your team, hanging on to James Madison, using mm. the rotation around Vardy to give him breathers when necessary to get the goals required, hopefully getting a continued reliance on output from Adamola, Lookman, and so on. And yeah. then beyond that, there are other players in this Leicester City team that I still think can go up a gear. And we've seen flashes of that. Timothy Castagne, for example, who scored once, played 35 times. He's capable of something a bit more offensive. We know mm. about Kin and Dewsbury Hall and his incredible talent. And it's great to see him extending his stay with the club. Wilfred and Diddy continues when he plays and he's fit to put in incredible performances. And I don't think he's going anywhere either. So there's a core there. And yes, it's just yes. about remembering as a Leicester fan that when we won the Premier League, we also had a thin squad. And Ranieri was almost through who knows what, a mixture of the gods, the remains of King Richard, if you're super yeah. luck, training, momentum, whatever. He was almost yeah. able to play the same 11 week in, week out, and barely anyone of note was injured throughout that season. Well, th this was it. I, I think we hardly had any injuries. And I remember speaking to somebody uh, earlier uh, when we did a, a season review, and he was saying that they have this sort of red, um, danger zone players and so so if you pull a muscle you kind of if you're in that zone you kind of drop to let so that it doesn't get any worse but we couldn't do that because we actually got the players to come in to replace them so people were having to play on quite often or come back when they weren't really 100% fit but when we did get everybody fit 
towards the end of the season. And yes, you know, a lot of people say, well, it was only Norwich, it was only whoever we could have played at the end. But they were teams who were struggling to beat 1 0 at the start of the season. And when we had all the, you know, pro, you know, the, what I would call first teamers back towards the end, we saw what we could do four and five, you know, goals a, a game. Yeah. And I think that's it that the defensive frailties were very apparent early on in the season. I remember being a bit concerned in the second game of the season when we lost 4-1 away at West Ham United. Mm. The away defeat to Brighton, even though it was only 2-1, was a little bit disappointing as well. And then at home, even though the form did give us some good early results at home, we beat Wolves on opening day, we beat Manchester United 4-2 at the King Power as well. But I remember watching us be dismantled at home, I think it was in October, to Arsenal and just thinking, okay, if Arsenal are going to be at best fourth and at worst seventh and we're being beaten that easily. And Chelsea also, by the way, came to the King Power and schooled us. And those mm. two defeats, I think, were in back-to-back home games with a very average 1-1 draw at Leeds in between. And I just thought, OK, we're off the mark here. And Manchester City, a little bit later in the season around Christmas, exposed us by putting six past us on the road as well. And then we all know what happened at home to Tottenham too in early January. But from that point onwards, the King Power did become a bit more of a fortress. And I remember us beating Leeds that I've already referenced. We beat Brentford. We beat Crystal Palace. We beat Norwich. We beat Southampton on the final day. And not only did we beat them, but there was a clean sheet against Norwich. And I know some people will say, well, Norwich are useless. They barely score any goals. But Leicester didn't have that many clean sheets. They got a clean sheet at home against Villa in a nil-nil draw. It was disappointing to concede against Southampton. But Leicester were by far the better team. And that second half was like really exciting because it just showed what Leicester are capable of. So I take on board the point that that type of win against Southampton was on the final day. But I counter that by saying we saw the best out of Perez off the bench. We saw Vardy again get on the score sheet and we saw Madison score. And if Leicester into next season are taking the form of Madison, the goals of Vardy and contributions from bitter part players like Perez, then on top of that, with defensive reinforcements due to fitness, if we're keeping more clean sheets then we are going to be a very, very difficult team to beat, particularly at home. And that all points towards a finish if in an indifferent season we were eighth of maybe getting back to seventh or sixth. And that's all the best we can hope for is let's be in the conversation for European football. And if we get there and have a cup run, that's an incredible season for Leicester. Yes. And you mentioned it there, and and I've said this very much, that for any team to go and break into that so-called big six, if you like, um, I hate that, but, you know, it's a phrase that everybody knows, you need some of those big six to obviously drop out. And when we won the, the Premier League, we did have a bit of luck, you know. Tottenham blew it, you know, Arsenal were having a bad season, Liverpool were still settling in a new manager, Man United still had Van Gaal, and we know how, you know, <laughs> way did United. Man City decided to announce that they're stacking their manager uh, just before the end of the season. So a lot of things went in our favour. But Let's not forget think... we got Mourinho sacked as well, didn't we? Oh, Mourinho, Christmas. yes. Ranieri yeah. eat him. Yes. And I think you, you also got to take into that that season as well, the fact that, yes, it was a good season, but it was built on what we'd done the season before with the great escape. 
Yeah, and I mean, there was a key period where we looked dead and buried around the time of Kun Vishai's birthday, where mm-hmm. in April he asked the players for a result or a birthday gift, and we beat West Ham, and that was such a big win. And mm-hmm. I think that the run of those victories, ending with that five goals being put past QPR provided all of the momentum and naturally in the off-season there was an unfortunate change of manager and Ranieri kind of got derided but clearly the players even though the system changed let's not forget and Mares was deployed with a little bit more freedom and that was one thing that Ranieri really did comparative to Pearson he found a way to get Riyad Mares to be more clinical. His talent was always clear, but he he would often get into these positions and do nothing with the ball or blow the finish or be a bit selfish. And then out of nowhere, this Mahrez-Vardy partnership materialised. But you're absolutely right that the confidence, the core lineup, and the momentum that led to Leicester winning the Premier League, at least in the early part of the season, was all from the great escape. And then from there the same momentum and confidence getting to the halfway point of the season and thinking we were realistic contenders was apparent. And then the final thing in the second part of the season, oddly, was not only the away win at Manchester City where Robert Huth scored twice. And a lot of players do cite that as the point when Leicester really thought that they weren't going to blow it. But actually, if you talk to Vardy, if you talk to Ranieri, if you talk to Huth, if you talk to Kasper Schmeichel, they all cite a loss And it was the narrow defeat away at Arsenal when Arsenal Mm. were celebrating like that was going to be the thing that won them the title or certainly gave them the ascendancy. And I remember having a conversation when we were in Hollywood after we won the Premier League in the off-season before a friendly... You name-dropper, you. (laughs) (laughs) I was just work. I was following Leicester for a documentary for being sports and Leicester were out there. So I'd been over to Thailand with Leicester and then I'd gone over to LA and we were playing in a tournament against PSG. And Ranieri basically said, and one or two other players that I've already cited, exactly the same story, that to have Simpson sent off, to be down at 10 men, to battle away at Arsenal at the time, a rival to win the Premier League. And even though it was heartache, to take them all the way with 10 men to the very last minute and then only lose the game. And then to see Arsenal celebrate like they'd won the Premier League. From Leicester's point of view, the players went back into that dressing room and they said, hey, if 10-man Leicester can hang on and battle and show that kind of quality, then we are capable of this only being a blip and going on to win the Premier League. And that's exactly what happens. So sometimes you take your momentum from the losses, not just the victories. Of course, the away win at Manchester City was equally as important because that was that run of fixtures where everyone said, Leicester are going to blow it. And there was still enough time in the season in a lot of pundits' minds for Leicester to wobble earlier and then be out of the picture by the time we got to the back end of April and May. And Leicester did the opposite. They obviously tried and clung on and nearly got something away at Arsenal. They got that big win at Manchester City. And it was sort of bizarrely quite plain sailing. We didn't just win the Premier League, let's not forget. We got to that Everton game. And because of Eden Hazard and Chelsea doing us a big favour, we were actually able to celebrate winning the Premier League with nothing at stake against Everton, which is quite simply incredible. 
Yes, yes. Uh, going on sort of now to sort of, I mean, I, I could talk about that season till the cows come home. I'm really good. But looking at, at this season, and I mean, everybody's sort of saying, uh, like I said earlier, I think we were a victim of our own success. I don't think looking back on last season, there were a lot of clubs that would have bitten their hands off to have finished eighth in the European semi final. But from, you know, if you did compare it to the previous seasons, I think for me, that season, you, you'd got this couple of seasons before, Tottenham and Arsenal were both struggling. And there was only really Leicester that was, was up there challenging, you know, to have it, to have it, you know, to, to, for those spaces. Well, last season you had Arsenal were coming back, Tottenham were coming back, West Ham, you know, were proving everybody wrong and having another good season. Where there was a lot of before, there was only us trying to get through the door. Suddenly, you got four or five teams all trying to get through the door together. Yeah, and that's why in those two seasons where we narrowly missed out, qualifying for the Champions League would have made a big difference because you can go out into the market and get a higher caliber of players. And you can invest more into the transfer kitty because there's more money coming into the club through UCL football than Europa League or Europa Conference League football. And now everything in that middle pack of the Premier League has really narrowed and become congested because Arsenal and Manchester United have got worse. In fairness, mm. Arsenal in January looked brilliant and sailing towards Champions League football, but they took a step back. So you actually now have this sort of some would say fourth to 10th, but if you discount whoever's in the Champions League places, whether that's Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea and Spurs or Arsenal instead of Spurs, if you sort of discount those teams, then you've got Man United down to about 10th or even 12th, who on a good day could be in the conversation for Champions League football, but definitely for Europa League. And on a bad day, could be 14th, 15th. And yeah. Leicester showed that because we ended eighth, but there was a period where we were only about six or seven points above the drop zone. And you thought, yikes. And this is the kind of challenge now is how do you make yourself above that congestion in the middle of the Premier League? So everyone says you're more than likely to be sixth or seventh with regular European football. Because Newcastle have added themselves into the conversation oh, yeah. around the big six. West Ham, you're right to mention, are that team at the moment that look like they're going to be in the European conversation. Aston Villa could surprise a few people as well. And then let's not forget Wolves, who finished the season yeah. dreadfully, but started it in pretty much yeah. Champions League or European form. So Leicester need to find a way of not only steering clear of uh, Leeds or let's just say for the sake of the rivalry, uh, Nottingham Forest. We don't want to be anywhere near that. We're 14th. We're looking behind us. But how yeah. do we make sure that on paper our team is better than a Wolves with a Neves and a Moutinho or a Villa with a Coutinho and a McGinn? And how can we add the depth that if we do finish above them and get Europa Conference League or Europa League again, we can maintain that ambition and make sure that those European games or those cup runs are not at the expense of the bread and butter of our Premier League fall. So Leicester needs to maintain their ambition, but within reason. Ambition is not yeah. weighted against the two Champions League seasons we nearly made 
and the Premier League. Ambition is weighted against, remember when we won an FA Cup and almost remember the football club we were under O'Neill where it was exciting as a fan to be 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, not 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Anything else is a bonus. And you only get to that point next season in the seasons that follow if you have smart recruitment and if you have depth and if you have the right manager. And I think we have got the right manager, but I don't think that we've got depth. But what we always have had in seasons gone by is smart recruitment. So Leicester can be very excited by whoever comes in, whether we know them or not, because we have trust in the recruitment model. We've always found these diamonds in the rough we've always got a cheap signing nobody's ever heard of that becomes a top class player with N'Golo Kante and Yuri Tielemans being just two examples and Jamie Vardy as well let's not forget nobody said that he was going to go on and play for England uh, who knew exactly who knew but you you mentioned I mean the, the, the the R word there recruitment I mean Brendan came out earlier in the season, possibly I think it was after the Nottingham Forest game, and he said it a couple of times. That, and I, there's some confusion over exact words whether the squad needed an overhaul, it needs a rebuild, or it needs a refresh. I mean, they can different phrases, it can mean different things. I mean, I, I've got a feeling that he was kind of saying that to give the players because some of the players didn't perform last season, we know that you've only got to look at the Forest game to see that the performances weren't there for whatever reason. And maybe, in a way, he was that was almost like a shot across the bowels. Like, you know, book up your ideas or I'm going to have to bring people in. Um, but now people, because they've got this word rebuild sort of stuck in their mind, they think that, right, we need to get seven, six, seven players in. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put a number on it. And we know Leicester have been slow, but one of the reasons for that is just because they won't buy for the sake of it. And I think that... That can be frustrating to a Foxes fan because we all want to see new names and you also look at who's out there in the market and make your own personal opinion. And there's so much data out there. We all play either fantasy football or Champions League uh, manager, I should say. And the reality, therefore, is that the average football fan has got a lot more knowledge and information. So we're each excited about a target. So then when you see a rival come in for a name at a reasonable price within Leicester's budget, we kind of, from the outside in, start saying, why were we not in for him? That's frustrating. And then if that player does well, you get even more frustrated. But if you look at whether Leicester need a rebuild, there's kind of two angles that I would approach it from. One is about the young players that the club are hanging on to that are the future. And I think that that rebuild has therefore already taken place because Leicester have got a James Justin, a Wesley Fofana, who will not be sold, in my opinion, this window. And Leicester won't even listen to an offer for under 70 million. And they'll tell him if they were to get rid of him this window for much closer to 80 or 85. It's a Harry Maguire style fee. There's Harvey Barnes. And we've mentioned a few other players like Dewsbury Hall too. So there's clearly a exciting, young, committed spine to the team. And then there's slightly more established, but still young players like James Madison. And then the rebuild would be around, I would call it more a a replacement strategy. So I don't think it's that foundationally, other than depth, Leicester need that much. It's more that 
They have to plan to replace Schmeichel. They have to plan to replace Vardy. They have to plan if he goes to replace Tielemans and then make sure that around that there is enough depth that if we get the same kind of horrific defensive injuries this season, there is a plan where we're not scrambling for makeshift defenders and then being leaky to the point where the season becomes slightly derailed. But I wouldn't call it a rebuild needed. I would just call it strategic recruitment around replacing one or two of the older players that have served Leicester so well. Then alongside that, making sure, as they've always done really well, that when we have an asset, that asset is loyal to Leicester City Football Club. And if they leave, they're sold on our terms, not the terms of the... I totally love that. I'm going to use that. Strategic recruitment. I am going to use that. Um, But we've we've got to address the elephant in the room. um, And that's the T word, Tielemans. Uh, Tony, a Newcastle fan earlier on, good evening, Chris and Ben. Is Tielemans coming to Newcastle? Uh, we'll come on to that. And then we've got Anthony, who's a big Arsenal fan, who obviously every season they get linked with a Leicester player. And every season they get disappointed. So I don't know. Um, he says Tillerman's going to Newcastle if he wants Champions League. And then would he go to New- to Arsenal if he wanted Champions League? That is the question. I, I actually had a bit of a rant on yesterday's uh, back page show at six o'clock. But I'm getting a little bit concerned about Tillerman's because... You know, he's had that offer for a year on the table. He doesn't want to sign that, it appears. I mean, this is what I'm looking, obviously, from the outside looking in. Um, It's starting to look to a lot of fans, and I've got to admit to myself included, that maybe we can't do any business until we sell Tielemans or we know what he's doing. Because that, you know, do we will we have extra money to spend or will we need to replace? And he's not going to sort of decide until the last, you know, last week in the transfer window. That's dropping Leicester really, really in it. And surely he, I mean, he's back this week, I believe, from, um, uh, not yet, but this week from uh, from his summer break. He needs to make a quick decision for the club, doesn't he? Yeah, I think Leicester will want to resolve the situation so it doesn't drag on. And that's why they are not only talking to Tielemans and his representatives, but determining whether there's any chance of putting down an extension. Because in an ideal world, rather than it only dragging on or any possibility of the contract running down in its entirety, Leicester would rather persuade Tielemans to sign a short-term deal and then agree, perhaps, that he can go for offers that would be higher due to any extension. But I think, unfortunately, from Leicester's point of view, that is a very neat narrative for the football club, but not one that Yuri is prepared to entertain at this point. And I would be staggered if by the end of the window, he hasn't had an offer that is formal to Leicester City that he's prepared to take. So I think by the end of this transfer window, Yuri Tielemans will be somewhere. He's too good a player at too good a price not to have a formal offer made to Leicester City. So the situation at the moment is simple, that Tielemans wants out, but not in a Ronaldo not turn up for training kind of way. Yet there's been no formal offers made to Leicester City. So Arsenal, if they want Tielemans, can sign Tielemans today as long as they agree a deal with Leicester City. Tielemans is sold on the Arsenal move. And let's not forget that 
Arsenal came in for Yuri Tielemans before he joined Monaco. And he yeah. considered the move at that point, but was worried about first-team football. He went to Monaco, he went to Leicester, and Arsenal would kind of be a full-circle move. He's excited by the prospect of playing under Arteta. He's had almost a year's worth of talks through his representatives with Arsenal. And personal terms verbally have been agreed. So Arsenal, if they choose to make the move can get this deal done for, I would imagine, and from people I'm talking to at the lowest end, 25 million, and from Leicester's perspective, more like 32, 33 or more, because they obviously want to make back what they paid Monaco yeah. for him. And it's not a huge amount of money, especially not, say, compared to Milinkovic-Savic at Lazio, who Arsenal are arguably also monitoring, and some say even more than monitoring, that they've even put yeah. down... Uh, test the water offer. And to get a player like him, you're going to need 60, 65 million. To get a player like Tielemans, you're going to need 25 to early 30s in millions. And not only is Tielemans Premier League proven, but he simply offers more financial value. So yeah. from the Arsenal perspective, with Fabio Vieira's arrival and time and energy put on Gabriel Jesus, who's now official, and Rafinha, who was a realistic possibility but won't now join Arsenal. They turn their attention to others, but there's still almost 60 days left of this window. So if Arsenal want Tielemans, they can get Tielemans, but to date, they've never put down an offer. If Arsenal exit the race, that's where Manchester United and Newcastle start coming in. And I think over the coming weeks, you are going to see somebody coming in directly to Leicester with a formal offer. And then there's not much that Leicester can do other than try and get that extra four, five, six million and preferential add-ons to at least, as they always do, make sure that they're in control in the negotiations to their benefit. Yeah. Tielemans then has a decision to make because if Arsenal are in the race, he joins Arsenal. If Arsenal are not in the race, Manchester United might be of appeal. But if Frankie de Jong comes in and Ericsson comes in and Bruno is there, then he also needs his role defining at Manchester United because he certainly won't get the same freedom that he gets at Leicester City and he might not get the same game time. And remember, we're in a World Cup year. And then mm. Newcastle is more about them convincing him of the financials and the project because they've got no European football. So at that point, he might say, well, I will just stay at Leicester. I'm not saying that he would definitely pick Leicester over Newcastle. But what I am yeah. saying is that if he knows there is another suitor that might come in in January with European football more guaranteed in the course of the next three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, Newcastle is a risk-reward move. The reward comes in the finances. The reward comes in the culture at the moment of the football club because the whole place is buzzing. The reward comes in the fan base. The reward comes in the fact that a Bruno, Joe Linton, Tielemans midfield is bound to succeed, in my opinion. And then you've still got the ability to bring Shelby off the bench. But nothing at Newcastle tomorrow is better than Leicester City. No, no. And I think what, what is confusing fans is that, and I think when he came out and said, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, if I have to stay at Leicester, I'm happy to stay at Leicester, but I want Champions League football. I, you know, we all said, great, you deserve it, you know. And maybe this time last season, on the back of Leicester having had a good season, he might have been getting more offers. And I think the fact that we didn't have a very good season and he was 
kind of having to play a bit of a different role to, to what he was used to the two previous seasons. The offers didn't come in. And, you know, he's now looking at, say, Arsenal. Um, and like you said, you know, there are the links there, but they can't give him Champions League football. Yeah, and, I don't think Champions League not, sorry, sorry, just say, could he not do, I mean, could he not look at Leicester and go, look, you know, Leicester gave me this chance, a bit like Harry Maguire did. Let me sign the contract that will mean Leicester can at least get some money for me. But if I get an offer from a European club, I'd be allowed to talk to them and be allowed to go. Yeah, I don't think it's about Champions League football. That might have been a stance in January when he was in talks with Arsenal, because at that point they looked sailing for Champions League football in really good form at the turn of the year. And at Tottenham were circling at that point. But now, as you rightly say, he doesn't have too much interest from clubs with Champions League football. I think for Tielemans, it's more about joining a big six club, even though I hate using that phrase, yeah. with guaranteed European football, even if it's kind of not Champions League next season in the case of Arsenal and Manchester United. What it is, is a plan and a strategy and the finances and the depth to get that pretty quickly. So in a bad season for Arsenal and Manchester United, they're still in Europe. In a bad season for Leicester, we're relegated. In a good season for Arsenal and Manchester United, they're winning a Premier League. They're in Champions League football. In a good season for Leicester at the moment, we're probably only Europa League football. And that's probably Tielemans' line of thinking. Has he taken Leicester as an FA Cup hero, as someone even last season with six Premier League goals in only, I think, 29 starts? So that's not a bad yeah. number for a player in his position. Has he taken the football club as far as it can go? And does he want to go to Manchester United and play under a Ten Hag style, which is going to hopefully be quite exciting and intrepid and with a player like, let's say, Bruno, and who knows, CR7 may be forced to stay as well. Does he want to go under Arsenal and buy into the Arteta plan, which is a patient, strategic approach with uh, Gabriel Jesus ahead of him scoring goals and a Martinelli in form and a Vieira? Because I think Tielemans and Vieira still could play together as like an eight and a ten. So I understand players will have personal ambition and this is one of the challenges with Leicester. And I think I'm allowed to say this because I'm a Leicester fan, but there <laughs> are football clubs, regardless of if they're the big six, regardless of what they did last season, regardless of the form, regardless of the fact that Manchester United is a bit of a mess. There are certain clubs there just with historical prestige. And unfortunately, Leicester City is not one of them, but Arsenal yeah. and Manchester United are. And there's other clubs like Newcastle that can just probably add 50k to his wages and convince Tielemans that if he joins now in three years time he will be a Premier League winner with Newcastle he will qualify for the Champions League get in at ground level and be part of something truly amazing and if Newcastle's transformation we, we should also remember that Arsenal did have a couple of seasons when they weren't in Europe yeah so and there's look, no guarantees obviously at, at, at any point Say, let's not forget, just want to move to London if he picks yeah. the Arsenal move. So I think we we love as fans to say our club is the number one. It's the most prestigious. It's the most exciting. It's the most potential. It's the right fit. Every Leicester fan would love Tielemans to stay. But every Leicester fan has to respect the fact that for him personally, 
there just may be a better offer that comes on the table. At the moment, there isn't. But I fully understand why, as a journalist and as a fan, why mm. Yuri Tielemans is going to wait and see what transpires throughout the whole window before deciding on his Leicester City future. Yeah, and and, and I get that. As a fan, you know, um, I appreciate that Yuri's got no ties to us. You know, it's not like, you know, he's... he's you know, you cut him and he, he's blue and he, you know, he grew up being a Leicester fan. So, you know, we can't expect him to sort of commit the rest of his life to the club. But I just think he does need to make a decision just for the best, just for Leicester, so we can move on. But I just wanted to say, uh, to bring this Mike, Mike, hello to Mike and bring this up, because he's a Manchester United fan. And he says there, this Tillerman saga is boring now. Two words I'm going to say to you, Mike Green. And that is Jordan Sancho. As non-Manchester United fans, we had, I think it was three, definitely two, and almost three seasons worth of transfer windows. Man United, Sancho. Sancho, Man United. Oh, Man United, Man United. So don't you come to me after this and say it's getting boring. We have to put up with Man United and bloody Jordan Sancho, who doesn't like his worth the money anyway. So... Get back in your box, Man United fan. Hey, he knows I'm bantering. He knows I'm bantering. Um, moving on, because we, we do seem to sort of do a lot of uh, talk about Yuri, but then let's face it, he's probably one of the best players we've ever had at the club. Um, Benjamin Beauregard. Um, and the rumours are saying um, that we've actually put an €8 million Euro offer in for him. Yeah, and I mean, this would be a bargain. My understanding is that that is a starting offer and there'll be add-ons on top and to actually get Beauregard an all-in deal is going to have to be a lot closer to 12 if not 15 million but it depends how a deal is structured obviously in terms of an upfront fee versus add-ons the Ren midfielder would be a perfect signing for Leicester he scored against Leicester let's not forget in the Europa Conference League 12 goals 16 assists and I think the beauty to the point that we spoke about before regarding depth is that Beauregard can play in defensive or attacking midfield so his numbers put him as an attacking midfielder but he has that versatility to be a little bit more rigid and disciplined and that will definitely be of appeal to Brendan Rodgers. There's a number of other clubs in the race here. It's a very preferable kind of starting price that Leicester are talking on. And again, I come back to what I said before, that due to the interest, particularly with other French clubs and the fact that he's such a multi-skilled player, I think that Ren will hold out for a little bit more money. But the Premier League has have appealed to the player. The fit is good for the football club. So it's a realistic target. And it's one to watch over the coming week or two as Leicester try and move a bit more decisively in the market to get somebody in early. And then just one more thing I'd say, coming back to what you said before around do Leicester need to sell in order to really generate the funds? I'm not sure that would be the case with Beauregard, because it's a reasonably low bracket of lowest and highest fees that the Foxes might have to pay. But I do think yeah. that it will be true if Leicester are to enter the conversation for, let's say, 
Armando Broya, who they've looked at along with Newcastle and West Ham, who would be a very interesting signing, could still be made available on loan. But my understanding is that the Chelsea player, because he did well at Southampton, would much yeah. prefer to have a permanent deal if, and it is an if, he's not going to be part of the Chelsea setup next season. So Chelsea will assess him. And then if he's not imminent in their plans, then Chelsea, of course, would prefer to loan him, but the player would like a permanent deal. But that's when you start looking at 30, 35 million and Leicester might need an outgoing first. I think with Beauregard, it's very much within Leicester's budget to just go out and get him, regardless of what happens with Tielemans. And obviously, even though there are other defensive midfielders and if Tielemans stays, you've got quite a lot of depth in that area. I still think that Beauregard at that fee is going to be a bargain, which is obviously why Leicester are in the race for him. Yeah. I don't know whether Anthony, the Arsenal fan, is still in um, the chat or not, but I have some good news and some bad news for him. Because I know he, he's not an Arteta fan, but the news is, and the good news is that there has actually been a resignation just announced on the breaking news. Uh, the bad news for you, Anthony, that it isn't Arteta, it's Rushi Sunak, the Chancellor. So <laughs> we don't do politics in here, but I just thought I'd I just thought I'd get you going there, Anthony, for a minute. Because I knew that I knew you'd be getting excited at the thought of it. Um I want to ask you at this point, Lockman, you know, we it, we've never really replaced um Mares. We know that. We've we've tried a few people. Um uh, a gazelle was was more like an elephant than a gazelle. Um, you, we, 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 we've tried under, he didn't work. Um, we've, we've got Lookman, and I thought he had a brilliant season. Um, Brendan kept playing him. We know he can get a goal. He likes right and left, and I know left is his preferred role, and we've got Barnes there. But at 15 million, which is the reputed, reported fee, we paid 15 million for Vestergaard, and you could argue as to why or not he didn't have a good season, but he didn't. Um, and if it's 15 million for Luckman, shouldn't we just be going in there and handing a bag of cash over? Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, isn't it, that the feeling, at least amongst sources close to Leipzig, is that he'll end up going back. And I think that he offers a lot to Leicester and not only that but as you've correctly pointed out there's that sort of try before you buy element that Leicester yeah. would have with Lookman where you know exactly what you're getting and he scored eight goals in all competitions he scored six goals in the Premier League he's versatile so a move at his age only 24 makes a ton of sense but you can also understand why Leipzig would either want him back or alternatively want a fee that puts Leicester out of the conversation. So there's financial constraints potentially, and there's also just the will of Leipzig. And Fulham found the same. Let's not forget that Leipzig loaned him to Fulham. Yeah. He did pretty well. He scored, I think, four goals in about 30-odd Appearances. I spoke to a Fulham fan and they, they, they said if he hadn't got injured, he'd have probably ended up being their player of the season. Yeah, I think so. We, we know from Lookman because before he started committing his allegiance to Nigeria, he was part of the England of the 21 setup. And yeah. even at Everton, where he didn't really establish himself as a goal scorer, they still spoke very, very highly of him. And let's not forget, he was incredibly young. I think in his last Premier League season with Everton, 
he actually played a lot more games, but failed in the Premier League to find that clinical touch, which is what provoked the move to Leipzig, first on a loan and then on a permanent deal. But what we know about Lookman is he's got all the right attributes, he's the right age, and unfortunately, when you deal with a club like Leipzig, it's a tough negotiation because their whole strategy is around developing a young talent. Yet, yeah, maybe loaning them out, but then either commercialising them or bringing them back for the development of that sort of like wider Red Bull football group strategy. So they've got two aims yeah. in that group at large with Leipzig, with Salzburg. It's about unearthing a talent, providing a pathway, loaning them out and cashing in. And that cash in part means that you're not going to get a cheap deal. Or the other option is about bringing them back and then using it to develop Leipzig or Salzburg, depending on the player, to get as close as they possibly can to things like Champions League football, which, again, gives them as a group financials when those clubs do well and they overperform and they exceed or they start embedding themselves regularly in European football. It's all about cheap talent, young talent, doing something for those clubs, European football cash in or loaning out, bringing back, saying, there you go, you've tried before you can buy, now give us a ton of money, or, of course, in some cases, the player just does so well at a Leipzig or a Salzburg within that group that you get a very, very high transfer fee. But much like Leicester, when we negotiate in the market as well, if you've got a player like him, you're not getting them back to the football club cheap, unfortunately. And that might end up being a roadblock to the deal. But if I just yeah. look at it as Lookman, talent, do Leicester want him? Then for me anyway, again, speaking as a fan rather than a journalist, it's a clear yes, because I think he's got everything that Leicester need right now. Yes, yeah. And he, he can play multi-positions, which we, we know. We know um, Rogers likes his players to do. Two players, before we move on to, to, to a couple of maybe exits, but this one's popped up today. Orkan Koku from Feyenoord? Feyenoord, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't, I don't really know an awful lot about him. Again, he's another midfielder. Um, 21-year-old Turkey international. Uh, I'd say that he'd, he'd be able to settle in with Soyun True, but he'd be on the way out. Uh, do you know much about him? Would he be? Is he a good option? Yeah, I mean, he played in the Europa League. He can chip in with a few goals. He's a midfielder, still very young. He is at Feyenoord at the moment. And there's a lot of interest. That's a very kind of key point, I think, to say here, because you often have Leicester coming in and pulling a player from Europe and surprising people. But that's not the case with Orkin Koku. West Ham have been looking at him. Leeds have yeah. been looking at him. Everton have been looking at him. So this is very much a player who is on a lot of Premier League clubs' radars. And mm. What I like about him is the composure. He's a very positive passer of the ball. He digs in. He's got good stamina and energy. And he's unselfish at times, which I suppose you'd expect from a central midfielder. But it's good to kind of see that intelligence and that composure at such a young age. David Moyes, in particular, is very, very keen on the player. And the two considerations from Leicester's point of view is if they are going to also 
as we've just discussed, bring in another midfielder. And if we still don't know what's going on with Tielemans, then is Korku really a priority player? Because I still think Leicester yeah. need a defender. I think that Leicester need, as we've just discussed, somebody in that Lookman position. I think Leicester need to work out the Kasper Schmeichel situation, whether that's this season or beyond. And I think Leicester need to look at who is going to be the long-term replacement for Vardy as well. So Koku doesn't tick any of those boxes. But I think that there is a lot of interest in a very talented young player. The other thing is that there could well be a bit of an exodus at Feyenoord. So that's another factor is whether Feyenoord are going to try and play hardball on any potential deal. But this is a young, talented player that I think will take really well to the Premier League. I think that he's got a very versatile skill set. He's very intelligent. I would like to see him improve the positional sense just a little bit especially at the pace of Premier League football. He's very good on the ball, but off the ball, his positional sense could be improved. And he can, I think, be trained not just to kind of look forwards in attacking phases, but to drop even deeper and offer that sort of central protection in midfield too and try and break up the play. And I always um, remember Danny Drinkwater having that like unsung role of doing that when Leicester um, were really at their best when he was in the yeah. side. Everybody looked at the goals of Mares. Everybody looked at the assists of Mares. Everyone looked at how quickly Leicester got the ball forwards. Everyone looked at the pace and goals of Vardy. But who before that in the phase was pickpocketing and getting their foot in and then making a quick positive decision to get the ball forwards? And it was often Danny Drinkwater. And midfielders that have the ability, I'm not specifically talking about this one target now, midfielders that can simultaneously get their foot in and quickly win the ball back and then have that positivity to release a player a few and far between in the centre of the park. And Kante was good at it, but Drinkwater was very, very unrelated at just underrated, yeah. I should say, just how good he was at that skill. And one or two people do speak about this particular player uh, as having that ability as well. So um, Leicester obviously now uh, like to keep a lot more of the ball. We're not the same counter-attacking side that surrender possession as much as we were under Ranieri and therefore Drinkwater's ability to do that under Ranieri was arguably more important because we got the ball less. So then when you had it, that counter-attacking was much more relevant. But I still think having that asset and skill set in the team uh, is really useful. So uh, an exciting talent, but uh, at the moment, I don't think Leicester are prioritising or in any way advanced. And if anything, uh, West Ham are probably a bit further along. It's a Leicester target, but I don't think Leicester have done too much with it just yet. But one to watch during the window. And he's got he's got three years left on his contract, which might up his price a bit. Yeah, and as I say, Feyenoord have had a few players leave already. So um, there's only a finite amount of outgoings <laughs> your Feyenoord you're going to want to happen uh, until some others um, come in. Yes, yeah. Um Last one I want to talk about for, for coming in, and then we'll talk about some going out so quickly. This is one that we've been linked with for probably longer than any other player, uh, but there's other clubs involved, is he, isn't he? Uh, and that's Charles de, and I can never pronounce his, Ketelair, um at Club Bruges. I mean, he's got Champions League football there. Uh, I know AC Milan uh, are, are interested in him, I believe, and he's they've got, obviously, Champions League football. But we've got the Premier League. Um, is this again, you know, um, 
is, is it a player that, that we need? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a brilliant player, by the way. That's the first thing to say. I've seen a lot of him and he would be a really, really good fit for Leicester. I know Leeds are interested and Leicester have always felt in very formative stages of making inquiries that they would be ahead of Leeds in any race for him. But as you say, there's interest from abroad and there is a rumbling anyway. And I'm going to try and stand this up over the next few days that Arsenal might even be taking a little look at him as well. So we won't be the only Premier League club and we won't be the only club across Europe's kind of major leagues that are looking at a player of his quality. So I would say at the moment that it's a case of his own future is still pretty uncertain at this point. And Leicester, in my opinion, are going to struggle, I think, to convince him Leicester over other suitors. And he can take his time because there's a lot of interest. And that's what Mm -hmm. you get when you've got such a young talent who is versatile enough to play in different positions and is hotly in demand. Leeds, the last time I checked, not only have done other business, by the way, Sinistera, Tyler Adams, tremendous signings. And let's not forget, they've still technically got Rafinha for now as well. So although there's disappointment that Phillips has gone and that Rafinha is highly likely to go this window as well, Leeds have already made a couple of really good swoops. And the challenge for Leicester, like I say, is there are other suitors and a reasonably high price tag being quoted as well. And this, again, is where Leicester, under financial fair play and not qualifying for the Champions League for those back-to-back seasons, still have that challenge of the fact that there are other clubs in the market now that can probably outspend us. And we've never been a football club that spends for the sake of it or spends above market value. So with De Ketelaer, he has won almost 10 caps for Belgium. He has really had a sort of breakthrough season in 21-22 comparative to other seasons at Club Bruges where he's been allowed to play with a bit more freedom and he's turned into a goal-scoring midfielder. He got 14 goals last season in the league and 18 in all competitions. If you look at that comparative to the season before, he only contributed with four goals in the league and six in all competitions. So it's been a breakthrough season because of the freedom that he's been allowed to play with. And I think that he would, again, fall into that like Tielemans replacement, but at a much higher price than other names that we've discussed. So I don't personally, I'm just giving you my opinion as a Leicester fan. That's why I'm oh, on yeah. this podcast. I don't think that he will end up joining Leicester City. But then if I put my journalism cap on, I have a responsibility to say that he's on Leicester's radar. But let, let's yeah. see, because I think this one could drag on over the next seven or it ten is. years. I know that apparently I think um, Milan have always already tested the water at 20 million euro and had it sort of thrown yeah. back at them. I think he goes... I you, think you look it up at the sort of the Tillerman sort of money, and I think it's a lot of you know we we got our fingers burnt with Slomani on, on that sort of money. Um, uh, Tillerman's he worked, but uh, it is a bit of a risk, like you say, for a club like Leicester at the end of the day. Um, you've mentioned him a few times, and I want to ask you, Casper. Um, now he's been he's come up quite a few times on our show. Uh, he's got a year left on his um, contract. 
we know what a fantastic servant he's been for the club. Amazing, amazing goalkeeper. But at Leicester, we know, you know, in the past, we had a Gordon Banks who was a World Cup winner and we had Peter Shilton coming up behind him and we let Banks go. Um, and obviously Shilton went on to uh, not quite win the World Cup, but very, but very close. I'm, I'm saying, is it time now? He didn't have the best of seasons, Casper. He wasn't controlling his box. He didn't like to come off his line. His distribution, we know, has never been brilliant. Is it time to maybe let him go and move Danny Ward up into that number one for the Premier League and maybe you know bring up Iverson as, as the cup goalie? Yeah, I mean, the goalkeeper thing is sort of important and saddening because we all know what a great servant and leader Kasper Schmeichel has been to the football club, but he is 36 years of age. And obviously, from Schmeichel's point of view, he wants to stay as Leicester's number one. And that will be important to him to leave the football club on his own terms. And Leicester sort of have to weigh up what's right for the football club versus being very respectful of, yeah, of course. Schmeichel. But like you say, there's elements of the game that have just dipped. And we're either going to see Kasper Schmeichel have one strong season and big push for Leicester and that could have impetus relating to the fact that it's a World Cup year or perhaps likely we're going to see Schmeichel start the season staying at the football club and then get to the World Cup and then there'll be a reassessment on it in January and if he's in red hot form then he does one more season with Leicester if he starts the season with Leicester and goes off to the World Cup you then have to replace them in January if things aren't going according to plan. But of course, if Leicester were being really cutthroat, there would be an acceptance that he needs replacing now. And if the right target becomes available, or as you've already outlined, the right upgrade from already within the football club is apparent, you have to phase him out a little bit. And then he's got a big decision to make because that's the last thing that he wants in a World mm -hmm. Cup year is to not be the number one at the football club. Now, goalkeepers are available Leicester could look at Zach Steffen, for example. I'm not sure whether he's quite a number one yet, but he'll be the number one goalkeeper for the US men's national team. He's available. And the likelihood is that he's going to Middlesbrough. That's the plan in a loan deal. And from what I understand, that deal is pretty much done. So not likely to be a realistic possibility, but we're seeing throughout this in entire transfer window that deals are getting hijacked. Look at Malaysia at Manchester United, mm, who yeah. practically signed at Leon. It was a done deal and United came in. Not sure whether he's the number one goalkeeper, like I say, at Premier League level yet, but that type of keeper, Dean Henderson, was available. That now has been resolved, so not a possibility. Nick Pope was available. That has been sorted by Newcastle. So, you know, Leicester needs somebody I don't think we would get a goalkeeper, for example, like Kepper at Chelsea, even though you'd take him all day long at Leicester City. So no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Can't stand the guy. I think you'd be nuts if Kepper's available and wanted to move to Leicester. You'd take him all day long, in my opinion. World-class goalkeeper stuck at a number two at Chelsea. But, you know, my point is, is that there's not that many signings that Leicester could make right now that would be the right fit. Maybe one I would take is Strakosha, who's a very good goalkeeper and is a little bit younger than Schmeichel, and he could come in and be a number one. Or you put your faith, like you say, in players already at the football club. But the decision needs to be made because mm. 
either Leicester commit and Brendan Rodgers commits and he says, right now in pre-season, Kasper Schmeichel is my number one. And then you start planning for January or next summer to replace Schmeichel. Or there's a very honest, open conversation that says he's not the number one. And then Leicester need to urgently either go out into the market and find a goalkeeper or upgrade somebody. And the sad truth is, I don't think there's anyone at the football club right now that is a better goalkeeper than Kasper Schmeichel in the long term. So it would be more urgent for Leicester to find a replacement, which is why I think that they'll put a bit of faith and loyalty in Schmeichel in the short term, unless somebody in the market becomes available that's a realistic possibility. A, a lot of fans are saying this, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm on my own here and I, I, I'm running the Danny Ward fan club. Um, do you not think he's good enough? He's a Welsh international. He's never let. Yes, he hasn't played. He's only played one game in however long he's been here in the Premier League. But he's he's done well in the cup. We know he's a good shot stopper at penalties. Do you not think he's ready for the Premier League? I mean, he's ready for the Premier League in the current role that he's in. I remember watching him back in October last year make an error against the Czech Republic. I think he's a good shot stopper. I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. I certainly don't mean to be a derogatory and he's only 29 years of age. But I just have concerns that really date back to the days when he was at Liverpool and I watched him on loan at Morecambe and then at Aberdeen and then at Huddersfield before he joined Leicester City. And he's been at Leicester now, let's not forget, since 2018. And off the top of my head, and I can be corrected, I suppose, by fans that watch a little bit longer. But I can only think of a handful of appearances during his time at Leicester City, probably 20 in total. And mm. I think only one in the Premier League that I can remember. Yeah, and, it is only one in the Premier League, yeah. So when you think in all of that time, with Schmeichel hitting 34, 35, 36, and now on to 37, he's only been given that one opportunity and I know there was some sort of talk towards the end of the season that the plan was to use Ward and then it ended up still being Schmeichel so there was obviously some miscommunication around that but with Leicester having nothing to play for if Ward is your number one this season then you turn to Schmeichel with nothing to play for in that home game against Norwich or in that last game of the season against Southampton and so on or really at any point since March Providing Ward is fit and you say, I'm going to integrate you because we've got nothing to lose now this season. And instead, Schmeichel kept the number one. And that is an indication to me that Schmeichel will be the number one this season or that Brendan Rodgers doesn't yet have the faith in Ward to think that he is the solution to Kasper Schmeichel. Yeah. Because otherwise, why aren't you going to use the last however many games of the season? I'm not saying that you put him in every game. I'm just no. saying that it's a bit demoralising if you're fit and you're ward from January onwards with Leicester having very little to play for after at least the Roma game, let's say. So we're actually more talking about April and May. It's a little bit demoralising if you're ward and you're fit and you're ready to play that you're not being given that opportunity. Mm. No, it is it, a good point. I mean, there was talk about him uh, blooding the Ulsters as well for those last few games. But I think, I think at the back of his mind, Knowing what you know, what was being said about him, I think Roger just wanted us to finish as high as we can do, and uh, like I say, end on a high so that we could go into next season on a high. Uh, I want to just I want to talk about Samare. I mean, 
he's actually been looking around, I believe, AC Monaco. He has had a look around the ground. Has he had a fair shot at, at, at Leicester? It's only been a season. And, you know, it's it, you're coming from a different culture, a different country, different style of play, different league. Yet, Fafana, for example, took to it like a duck to water. Dakar's taken a little bit longer, but, he, you know, we know he will. Has he been given, you know, in that congested midfield that we've got, has he been given, do you think, a fair chance? Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? But it's not always about a fair chance. Sometimes it's just about the fit and not every player comes to Leicester and settles in. So it's not just about the football, it's about the culture, it's about how often you play. And of course, if you just look at it at the player's potential and the reputation that he was signed with and the number of games that he's played and time he's been at the football club, then yeah, you say he's not been given enough time. But my sense with this is it's far more a two-way process. And in the same way that the Mussas and the Slamanis of this world, even with big fees, so you can argue that two ways, didn't really take to Leicester, didn't really settle in the Premier League. There's players out there that just like playing at a slower pace. They just prefer a different dressing room. And I think sometimes mm. we forget the human aspect of the footballer, that footballers are people, they've got families, they've got a predominant lifestyle that they're used to in terms of weather, culture, journey to work, friends, family, language spoken yeah. and so on. And, you know, Leicester have gone through phases, make no mistake about it, where we've had very diverse dressing rooms with different languages and so on. But we've also always had the spine of personalities in the team, the big talkers, those that are driving the social side of things, those that are having the banter in training. That's still always historically been your Vardys and your Schmeichels and mm. before kind of these seasons, your drink waters, very vocal in the dressing room as well, all very much like English speaking players. And when other players have joined them and the club have done well, they've bought into that, but not every player's like that. And I think that no. from what I understand, Samari's the same, that he's quite a quiet character. He's grown up with his football at PSG at youth level. He's moved to Lille. He's French speaking, uh, obviously. And um, perhaps he just feels that a move like a Monaco or away from Leicester is right for him. And mm. then when you want to wake up and you feel comfortable in the dressing room, I'm not saying, by the way, that Leicester have made him feel uncomfortable, but no, 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 no. when your coaches are not all French speaking, when your manager is not French speaking, when you're living in Leicester in that climate and so on, he may just want the move away. And Leicester, unfortunately, have to respect that. He's played 19 times though in the Premier League and, um, He's played 30 games in all competitions, so you can hardly say that he's been a bit part player. But what you have to respect is just the fact that if he feels this hasn't worked for him on a personal level and we've not seen his best football, then Leicester unfortunately need to respect that uh, and allow him to make a move. And sometimes you've got to say it's just not worked out. You know, it does with players, doesn't it? You know, um, a player that we've... I think we've given a lot of chances to, and, and he was once described as probably not as good as Brendan Rodgers thinks he is, but he's better than a lot of fans give him credit for, and that's Iosi Perez. Um, <laughs> always makes me think of the old um, the song, What Are We Going to Do With a Problem Like Maria? I think you could <laughs> stick Perez's name in there. Um, he's a, he's a love-hate, he's a Marmite figure, isn't he? But he's never quite lived up to his 30 million brown price tag 
Which is weird to say, because when you look at what people are spending now, 30 million is not a high figure, but I accept that it was at the point when Leicester bought him, given the reputation that he held. I really like Perez, but then Under, I thought, had a ton of potential as well. And the problem with both is that you see them in flashes. So if Leicester City get the confident Perez that was clinical in the two goals scored against Southampton, if that's the Perez we see week in, week out, then there's not a Leicester fan around that wouldn't want him at the football club. But unfortunately, he's been streaky in form. He hasn't had that confidence in front of goal. And there's not always been a fit within the system. It's very difficult because if you're going to be a player that's brought on, not every footballer, Gabriel Jesus is a good example of that as well, relishes that. Some come on and they're just so intent to prove themselves with fresh legs that they have an impact regularly as a kind of super sub. Whereas I feel like Perez to really get the best out of him would need to be starting at Leicester week in, week out and have an extended spell in the side because he's not going to be able to do what he did against Southampton week in, week out on the final game of the season. But look at both those finishes. Look at the technique. Look at the instinct. Look at the positional sense. and Look what it meant to him to score both those goals. So you can never say one game, two goals, a 15-minute period of play is going to redefine the player. But... It might just be that seeing that and ending the season on that. So seeing it from Rodgers' perspective and ending the season on Perez's perspective, just constantly knowing that those were his last two contributions, it could make all the difference. And he might come back better and stronger. I think Leicester are fully open to selling him. And I think that they're going to struggle to get anything close to what they paid for him. But it wouldn't at all surprise me if... He does through whatever circumstance. Like, I can't do a Leicester 11 where Perez starts, unfortunately. No, no. But I can do a Leicester 11 where the type of Perez who showcased his skill set against Southampton starts. And um, therefore, it's an interesting one because you're not going to put him in your starting 11 when everyone's fit. But that is what he is capable of. So it would be a shame if Leicester are unable to get the best out of him. But I fully appreciate why he just may not be part of the starting 11 or the focal plans for Rodgers due to other options. But as I say, he's clearly got that talent. Yeah, just... yeah. Well, there's a good player in there. <laughs> it's just... And is he one of those players you think... I mean, I always think with Leicester, we seem to have to have a player that we don't like as fans. I mean, you know, Ben well, I can never understand the hate he got. He was England left-back... Uh, I liked the guy. I thought he was a good player, but you know, most Leicester fans didn't like him. And I just think Perez is kind of fitting into that, you know, villain role. But he does offer a lot, though, when he's not on the ball, doesn't he? Yeah, and I mean, this is why, supposedly, according to reports in the last twenty-four hours, a club like Newcastle might be looking at a return. I'd be staggered, by the way, even though they need a player in his position, if they pay the thirty odd million being reported or even if that move happens but there's obviously been some kind of rumor mill that's set that off a return to Spain is also on the cards and probably a bit more likely with a a club like Real Betis but the thing about Perez and Soyonchu as well who could end up leaving the football well I was going to say he was going to be the next one I was going to say you know he could be leaving 
with both, and I'll address them both, mm. it, it's not really a case of vilifying. If anything, so she got caricatured more into a hero, but always had that kind of flash of rage and inconsistency that infuriated one or two fans at times. And his positional sense for me was never reliable enough, but he always gave you that kind of not just 110%, but energy, tenacity, ferocity that on his day won fans over. Uh, with Perez, I think it is simply down to the fit and the consistency and being able to regularly chip in with uh, goals and assists. And he's never quite got there. But let's not forget that Mares was like that right up until Ranieri as well under Nigel Pearson. He was an incredibly frustrating player to watch at times because he had the tricks, the stepovers, the instinct, the drop of the shoulder, the pace he would get to the byline. And there was absolutely uh, no end product. And uh, Leicester have had a uh, few players like that, um, I think, that um, fall into that category. Damari Gray is another good example. He's turned into a real player now, but at Leicester, he would just sprint into these dangerous positions and never look up. There was no cross, there was no end product. And uh, therefore, a player can just have a breakthrough season with a bit of confidence. And that was what happened to Mares. And uh, Gray's exactly the same now. So I think that they are probably surplus to requirements. But I would also take issue, uh, again, as a fan, not a journalist, even though I respect the opinion with this notion of like, there's always a player that's uh, vilified. There's always a player that's frustrating, but they're frustrating because you know there's the talent there. That's what makes them frustrating. But I don't think Leicester have ever had a history of just vilifying a player for the sake of it, unless you go all the way back to uh, Adi Akinbayi and players like that that had oh big... Oh, God, that's going back. Yeah. <laughs> ...were vilified simply because yes, the price no, tag not yeah. the return. Uh, Perez's price tag doesn't warrant any return. He's not a 60 million, he's not an 80 million player. And the same yeah. with Unda. Uh, the, the vilification, if you want to call it that, but I, I, I disagree. I don't think Leicester fans at large are intentionally trying to vilify in the same way that Maguire gets vilified at Man U. It's frustration. And the frustration is down to the fact that these are astute Leicester signings that had relatively sensible price tags, even if they were high. And the player came with a reputation and a bit of pedigree from Newcastle United in Perez's case. And then we've only seen it in flashes. And then when you see what he can do, the frustration is, you know, not so much you're a villain, get out the football club. The frustration is in how do we get you to live up to your reputation because we can see it in there. How do we kind of almost pull you aside in a match environment? Because I bet you anything Perez is doing it in training. How do we pull you aside and say, you know, where is the confidence? Where is the fit yeah. in the system to get you to do this week in, week out? And I think Perez is capable of that. Uh, Soyonchi is a bit different because he's never really, even though he's had some phenomenal performances and developed a bit of cult status, he's never really leveled off and had that ability to be a bit more of a cultured, um, considered defender. So when he's good, he's amazing, but he's an extreme yeah. player. And that's why I think he'll go. Uh, Perez, I would be a lot sadder to see leave, though. Right. And and to say congratulations to Cameron Norrie, who's just reached the Wimbledon uh, semi-final. Um, so still got some British interest in there. 
went to the uh, final set. I think he went to a tie break. I'm not sure, but it uh, uh, well done, well done to him. Last and I promise you, this is the last one because I appreciate you've been here on a long time. I'm out to work the dog in about ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, very very quickly. I love this guy, Kalechi and Acho. I don't again. I mean, he he had a brilliant end to the season before last when he was brought on with Vardy. Uh, they, I mean, he was the one you know top goal scorer that season. Roger seems to have cast him aside again. Yeah, Ian Acho is probably a player that will divide the fan base. And I really, really think he has all of the attributes to be an integral part of Leicester City Football Club. And let's not forget, he's only 25 years of age. And, you know, when Leicester signed him, it was supposed to be marquee from Manchester City. And now he's been at the football club since 20. 17, and we all know 2021, 2020, uh, 2020, 2021, he had that sort of breakthrough season at the football club, scored 12 goals in the Premier League, and you know, similar amount of games actually. So, when you say cast aside, not, not strictly true, um, even though uh, not every appearance has been a start, but he made 25 appearances and scored 12 goals in 2020, 2021, and in 2021 uh, 22, he made one more appearance in the Premier League, but he only scored four times. So, I think talking to people that are quite close to Ian Acho, he's a very um, streaky player that lives off confidence and lives mm. off starts yeah. and lives yeah. off service. And he just didn't have that last season. He had a very topsy turvy yeah. kind of campaign, unfortunately, with uh, Leicester. Um, and there, there will be other clubs looking at him and realising that there's an opportunity to swoop and maybe get a good price deal here. But I um, think that Rogers hasn't so much outcast Nacho as um, sees other options uh, and formations. And, um, you know, Leicester have tried a lot of different things because of injuries that maybe have affected Nacho. Uh, with more possession-driven football, the wide players and the midfielders have been more important as well. And um, we've moved away, haven't we, from this automatic uh, Vardy, Iheanacho. And there were even times, let's not forget, where it was Iheanacho plus one other and it wasn't Jamie Vardy. Yeah, um, yeah. That's not quite the case now. He's clearly not a guaranteed name on the team sheet. But I hope he stays at Leicester because he's only 25 and um, I still think that the best is yet to come. And if he's given a consistent run in the side... Uh, Leicester can get into a position again where he is a double figures goal scorer in the Premier League. We all have our favourites, don't we? <laughs> we, uh, we get upset when they're, when they're not picked. <laughs> ben from CBS News, I get this right now from, <laughs> from CBS. Thank you so much for joining us. I don't want to keep you, make sure your dog's not sat there with Crossway, <laughs> but thank you so much. Like we say, once you get talking about Leicester, we could still can still be at five o'clock this morning. Never stop. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Uh, good to connect with any Leicester fans, and let's hope we have a good season. Brilliant, mate. Thank you so much. Love to have you on again sometime. Take care and stay safe, and enjoy your trip to Leicester next week. All the best. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Bye bye, Ben. Oh, oops, a daisy. There I am. Look, he went quicker than I was expecting. There. <laughs> what a great, uh, what a great guy.
Um, I haven't got breaking news. Don't get too excited, guys. Let's put that one up instead. Yeah, what a, what a great show. Um, it's always nice to have these people. You know, he's the guy that broke the Newcastle rumour uh, that they could be interested with Tielemans. Addressed a lot of the Leicester problems there as well. Don't forget, we are going to be back at 9 o'clock tonight. Um, there's going to be me and Lou. Lou and me, we are going to be looking at the women's Euros. And we're going to be covering um, that, or certainly all the England games, and possibly one or two of the other big games as well, with live watch-alongs. And tonight we're going to be looking at the squads. She knows her stuff about women's football, does Lou, which is really good because I struggle. Um, and I look at it and think, I've, I've seen Netherlands and think that they should be like the, the men's team and look at the top. And so I'm, I'm glad Lou's going to be there to, uh, to to put me right and keep me keep me under control. Uh, that's at nine o'clock tonight on here. Um, if you are interested in women's football and not just generally, um, James says thank you very much here. Uh, thank you so much, James, for all your hard work. Thanks so much. Our message is I need uh, to ask you something, James. Um, and do you know what? If you do uh, like the channel, uh, then please, please do what I always say, which is please support the companies that support this and it does basically it keeps us going and these are the companies Leicester lead again the goals are flowing here now the Leicester Till I Die shop is now open for all your Leicester Till I Die merchandise visit the Leicester Till I Die shop at our website Thank you for all the details and all the information about how you can get discounts if they're on offer are below us. Three Retro is a big sponsor, uh, 3retro.com for your retro shirts and sportswear for the women's Euros. Nine o'clock tonight, we're going to be previewing the uh, your, women's Euros tournament held here in England. And then tomorrow night, we're going to be doing a live watch along of the England-Austria opening game. And uh, I'm confident. I think we're going to do well. We've already beaten the holders in the Netherlands. so. Fingers crossed. Um, if you've been watching, thank you so much. And if you haven't already on YouTube, please get over, do what it says there, give us a subscribe, smash the likes and click the notification bell and then you'll never miss one of our shows. And if you have been listening on your favourite podcast platform, whether that be Amazon, Apple, Google or Spotify or any other, search Less Little I Die, I thank you for lending us your ears. I will see you at nine o'clock with Lou. Take care and um, don't do anything I won't enjoy. Thanks for watching Lester Till I Die. This is Chris saying goodbye and see you next time.
for watching these videos are tremendous you better like the crew or i'll be back cool i'm out of here oh that's a wrap Podcast Network. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping. And you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? A participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.